You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello and welcome along to the Overtime Ireland Football Podcast. Myself, Colin Kelly here, bringing the show as always. Uh, the last couple of shows, Doug Moore has jumped aboard. He's been my co-host, and today we're going to have some fun because Roto Hack is jumping aboard too. It's going to be a three-way show, and uh, for those listening at home, we have had some technical fun starting this off. So hopefully, it all goes nice and smoothly. We have Doug uh, ready, jumping at the bit, ready to go. How's things been, Doug? Uh, good, good. Uh, just uh, another week and, and no football, which uh, doesn't make Doug happy. Yeah, I don't think that makes any of us happy. And uh, while you're missing uh, football stateside, like all of us missing the NFL, uh, I played a bit of football this week. And the guys know from before the show, I took a little bit of a bump to the head. So I often talk nonsense on the podcast, but uh, there could be a little bit more of it this week. But uh, George, how's things going? Things are going great. Fortunately for me, you know, there's there's not the necessary equipment upstairs to where a concussion would cause any problems. So we're good to go. Yeah, well, with me, uh, you know, Let's just see how it goes. But obviously, we all know George from Twitter at Rotohack. Uh, over there at DLF, we're big fans of Dynasty League Football. He's hosting the podcast over there as well as the Philometrics podcast. So we should be in for some really good stuff tonight. Um, really starting off this show, I don't know which way we want to take it. We have a number of topics written down here to discuss. But just a quick plug for our sponsors. We start the show here. It is at Sports Travel Tours. They are sports travel for fans, by fans. And they have been uh, running for almost 20 years now. And particularly fans in the... Uh, UK and Ireland heading over to the US but also for fans in the US heading over to the games in England or even fans uh, in the UK heading to those games they have you sorted and uh, if you want to save 10% in the upcoming season uh, they will sort that out and all you have to do is use the code at checkout the code is OTI they kick us back a little bit and uh, they give you 10% off your package so it can be a significant saving on the different sports packages they set up autograph signings and so on with legends of different teams if you go to the game state side so all that good stuff uh, check them out as sportstraveltours.com and as always uh, starting the show give us a, a written and a comment on itunes stitcher tune and all those good ways that uh, you can listen to this show keep spreading the word on social media there's been a, a fantastic helping over the off season it's always good to see the numbers going up in the off season in particular and uh, hopefully that continues into the 2016 season so uh, thanks for all your support I guess we'll start off with that most exciting topic. Uh, the Pro Bowl has been kept on for another couple of seasons. An absolute uh, atrocity that it is. Can we just uh, get the petition started to scrap the Pro Bowl altogether? Yeah, I mean, listen, this it, it bothers me a lot. And people who follow me on Twitter know this. You can't discuss a player's accolades and make your case by saying how great someone is by being voted as a pro bowler. It's a popularity contest where nobody goes to in the end. And when you have a guy like Jameis Winston going to the pro bowl, when he had a pretty decent rookie season, but now that the Buccaneers are calling him a pro bowl quarterback, it's it's hardly doing so. He's like the fifth option for them. So it, it's really a game where, hey, yeah, we get to go to this great vacation site. where they are going to Orlando now, it sounds like, where, you know, you're already going to Florida for, you yeah. know, what is it, two different teams. So great, awesome. But I don't know. I, I just I think it's it's a pointless event that, you know, maybe some of the players like, but I, I would say that the majority of them don't when most of them uh, back out because of uh, injuries. So or made up injuries. I don't I don't know. But I, I don't like the Pro Bowl. I think just name them all pros, name them you know pro bowlers and just end it at that i also say that way for all all all-star games in any professional sport as well but especially the pro bowl because i think it's more dumb than most uh the most yeah doug bringing the heat here to start the show uh george i think um, we probably all agree with that what do you think yeah i mean i think uh 
I think Doug put it quite eloquently to say the least, but uh, you know, honestly, it's going to take like a, a terrible ACL injury, like uh, Robert Edwards had in New England way back in the, you know, beach Pro Bowl days when they were doing those games uh, for the Pro Bowl to have any chance to end. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of silly and pointless. And you know, I get it's for the fans, and I'm sure that fifty thousand, seventy thousand people want to go to Hawaii, which is nice. But they're not even doing that. It yeah. seems like anymore. So. Uh, you kind of lose the only cachet that there might be to the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I think I should have, like, it is good for charity-wise, but, uh, you know, as a, any sports person playing the game, I think it's stupid. You look at the amount of people last year, in particular, it was a joke, the amount of people pulled out of it. So, and then with, uh, you know, even going into the season with Eifert's uh, injury starting off the year, it just, uh, I thought that was another nail in the coffin, but looks like we have it for another three seasons. Uh, Big Ben has been talking this week at OTAs. He's been talking about the Steelers and the need for the young wide receivers to step up uh, for the upcoming season with the suspensions and so on that they have. Is there any guys down there uh, in, in Pittsburgh in particular that you're uh, looking at that might really make a big impact in 2016? Either of you? Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll let George go first. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I can't say Sammy Coates because my wife's an Alabama fan, so she would get really upset if I brought him up. So I'm not going to say him. Uh, no, I mean, I think Marcus Wheaton's probably going to be the the obvious play right now in terms of who might emerge opposite Antonio Brown. But I mean, you know, they added Ladarius Green, which was a huge get in and of itself. They have Le'Veon Bell potentially back for a full season. So it's possible that a second receiver doesn't emerge and it's just all these other options that are that are kind of resuming roles in the case of Le'Veon Bell or assuming a new role in the case of Ladarius Green. So I think Wheaton might have the best chance. I think Coates is probably the long shot. And then, you know, after that, it's it's kind of a, a best guess. You know, I'm not saying Darius Hayward Bay. Please don't draft him <laughs> anywhere ever. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit of a crapshoot. Yeah, no, I mean, I love this Ladarius Green signing. You bring a big, immediate receiving threat in him when you're uh, upgrading over Heath Mill. Heath Mill is a great tight end in his career, but Ladarius Green has proven to be a reliable um, receiving tight end when he's on the field. He has dealt with some concussion history issues. I think he had two in one week, uh, either last season or the season before, which was weird. Um, but I love it. I think he's a top-ten tight end, especially with um, – um, Oh, God, Martavis Bryant out, uh, at least it looks like for the season. Uh, I, I've seen talk of uh, Antonio Brown hitting 150 receptions, yeah. and I think I think if Big Ben is healthy for all 16 games, or not necessarily healthy but on the field, which might be a feat in itself because he seems to always miss a game or two, um, he could hit that, I think. Um, so I, I love him in redraft. He's my number one guy overall, uh, no doubt. But if Le- Le'Veon Bell can stay healthy, which is a, a big if, uh, he could have a really good year. I think he could finish as a, the number one uh, running back again. But, uh, yeah, someone's got to step up. If I have to say somebody, I would say it's Ladarius Green. I think he could have a really, really good year in that passing offense. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, such a high-powered offense last year. Even then Big Ben was out. It had a huge dip. But, you know, you mentioned there probably you're looking at possibly 150 catches for uh, Antonio Brown. If he does stay fit this season, this team has a chance to go a long way uh, just fail to see what happens if he actually got hurt this season but let's hope that doesn't happen moving on next to uh, the Ravens they've missed uh, today we're talking on Wednesday they've missed a day of OTAs and a, a couple of days this week in fact after they trained with the rookies in full pads uh, before we get on to players for the Ravens in particular what did you make of the situation with them going in full pads with the rookies the amount of things that have to go on behind the scenes for that to happen and for them to go through with it uh, just seems uh, mind-numbing to me it's stupid. Yeah. It's stupid. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the stupid rant like I did with the Pro Bowl. Um, 
I, I, from what I read, Benjamin Watson had to go in and, yeah. and he's, I guess, the NFLPA rep for the team yeah. uh, and say, hey, listen, you can't do that. Um, but the Ravens have proven that they, they've made these minor, minor infractions. And it's shocking to me that um, when you put it in perspective that the Chiefs lose a third round pick for potentially tampering with Jeremy Macklin. But the uh, Ravens lose a week of OTAs. Um, now, granted, it, it may not seem like a lot in terms of fantasy perspective or draft perspective. Yeah. It's still a good amount of time for rookies to get acclimated to everything. But it's just it, it's just literally a mind fart or, or you know, lapse <laughs> of judgment by the Ravens to let something like this happen. And, and, and uh, I, you know, I'm a Patriots fan, but that's just this is just stupid in general. So I, I, I don't know, but it, it's definitely something that could have definitely been avoided. It seems like kind of ill-conceived timing considering, you know, all the toxic concussions over the last couple of years and, you know, just all the all the general issues that have been going on with player health. It just seems like the last thing you'd want to do is, you know, practice in full pads at yeah. this point in the offseason and try to cause a fracture, fracture of the team, fracturing the rules, you know, all those things. So, yeah, it's just kind of silly. And, and really, what did they gain out of doing that? You know, I'd argue that the, the benefit wasn't worth probably, you know, that, that week loss of practice. Yeah, it just seems to me it's absolute stupidity. And with a coach, you know, that's been around the NFL for such a long time and somebody who's highly respected around the league, I think it was a really daft decision. And I do think maybe if this was a guy that was only a year or two in the league, there'd be a lot more criticism of it. But we'll we'll see what happens going forward. You mentioned Benjamin Watson. My next thing was about uh, the tight end situation there. Obviously, they're kind of... There's Max Williams, there's Crockett Gilmore, who had a quite nice season last year. Big things expected of Max Williams. Benjamin Watson had a nice year down with the Saints. And then Dennis Pitta is the player I was going to talk about. He's on the comeback trail after having uh, fractured that hip twice. I can't really see him coming back to any fantasy relevance. But while he was uh, you know, at the top of his game that year that they went to the Super Bowl and won it all, uh, ben, uh, Dennis Pitta had a had a very strong season do you think there's any chance of him coming back from that injury you know there has uh, there has to be a lot of skepticism around it and then the rest of the tight end situation with max williams being that young tight end do you think uh, he can step to the four or how do you think it goes so i'm gonna, I'm gonna step in here real quick and and the the way i think about this is they're like their situation is like the Giants running back. They just add tight ends like crazy. No one knows who's going to be the starter, who's yeah. even going to be the second string. Um, like with Victor Cruz out in New York with the Giants, I think just basically to, after dealing with these serious injuries, anything you get out of him is extra, um, especially with the glut of, of tight ends that they have right now. Uh, they spent, I think, a first or second round pick on Max Williams uh, last year. Crockett Gilmore's in the guy. Oh, it was a second round pick. Thank you, George. Um and, um, you know, so I think he's – is he suspended for the first four games yeah. or is that Crockett Gilmore? Crockett Gilmore. Crockett Gilmore, yeah. So it'll be interesting. I think Watson could do some things uh, after having that season with New Orleans. Um, I don't think you're going to expect much out of Pitta, but I would say the number, the two big guys that you're going to look for production from are, are uh, Max Williams and, um, and Benjamin Watson in, in 2016 from the Ravens' tight end position. Yeah, it just seems like the – the Ravens are pretty good at, at accumulating assets at all these different positions, right? You could have said the same thing about running backs or wide receivers, yeah. even, you know, they seem to keep adding at least one new piece at all three of those positions every year. So I'm with Doug as far as, you know, I, I don't anticipate Pitta contributing much in 2016, if ever, uh, I, that probably had to weigh in their decision to sign Ben Watson, obviously weighed in their decision to draft Max Williams yeah. a year ago, uh, and again, you know, they've been adding receivers, they've been adding running backs. It just seems like it's a very crowded situation in general for targets across the board, much less at tight end. So I, I just, 
I, I would love to see it. It'd be great. You know, it'd be a, a, a fantastic story. But uh, unfortunately, the NFL isn't always the best in terms of telling good stories. So, <laughs> Speaking of telling good stories and uh, crowded situations, uh, the Broncos and Gary Kubiak have been saying this week not to rule uh, Trevor Simeon out as a possible starting quarterback come week one of the season. Is this one that you think, uh, let's rule this out straight away, or is it something that you think there uh, could be a possibility in? I'll let, I'll let George hit this first. Oh sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm ruling it out pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, you know, trading up for Paxton Lynch, it just seems like that's a pretty telltale sign. You know, obviously they they got Mark Sanchez as well. I mean, not that they paid much for him in terms of trade capital, but I mean they're paying him a fair amount of money. So I just can't imagine it's any more than the usual camp fodder. You know, uh, trying to to motivate some of the other players at the position, players in the offense that nobody's necessarily safe, but. I really don't think it's much more than that. Yeah, no, I think this is more so um, like, hey, wait, wait, not so fast. You don't know our plans. But in, in reality, I think we do. The one thing I would say that Trevor Simeon has over the other two, he was in the system last year. He knows their playbook more than the others. Um, not that that counts for too, too much, but um, I think it was a seventh-round pick a couple of years ago. Not much expected out of him. Um, I'd be surprised. Uh, he'll probably stay on as the number three quarterback. Uh, simply because Sanchez, uh, you know, uh, not always been very consistent. And uh, Lynch is obviously a rookie, so I think they'd prefer to have Lynch um, third string just so they don't have to put him in a situation where he has to play right away. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think ideally, they like with Philadelphia, they would rather have Sanchez play the whole year, have Lynch not play at all, learn from behind somebody. I think Kubiak was a... Um, uh, Kubiak was a quarterback. John Elway was a quarterback. So hopefully some sort of tutoring involved. Um, now, granted, Sanchez could play himself out of a, a starting role just because of, uh, uh, you know, how great he is. Um, but I, I, I think that if there's a – I think out of Carson Wentz and, and Paxton Lynch, I think that um, Paxton Lynch has a much better chance of playing in 2016 at all than uh, Carson Wentz. Um, but I, I still think if, if everything goes according to plan for them – uh, Mark Sanchez will be their starter in 2016. Yeah, a question that came in uh, over Twitter as well. And, uh, you know, it's a defensive side of the player ball player that has retired, Walter Thurman of the Eagles last season. He's retired at the age of 28. But I got a question come in in the regards of dynasty players. And with these players retiring, we've seen, you know, Calvin Johnson uh, has stepped away from the game, whether he comes back is another situation. But when you're looking around it and you're evaluating dynasty players, do you think uh, more and more players moving forward are going to think about retiring, stepping away from the game at a younger age? Obviously, there's a lot more money in those second contracts. And once they get them, they start to, to think about some things outside of football. That's hard. You know, I really don't think you can look at it that way. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, you can't give a higher percentage to a certain player over another outside of, I guess, the age component. But even then, obviously, because we're seeing some people retire a little bit earlier, players that are at their peak or near their peak are, are retiring a little bit more. Uh, you know, who was a, one of the guys from San Francisco, the offensive tackle came back, right? And now yeah. he's talking about returning. So, so you don't even know if those retirements are going to stick. Yeah. So I, I think you just kind of have to to play it as business as usual and, and almost cross your fingers that nobody decides uh, to retire. But, you know, you understand it's a personal decision and, and yeah, you can't hold it against them necessarily. Yeah, it's one of those things yeah. I think it's a bit like a, a career and injury. You can't really plan for it in Dynasty, so you have to just uh, stick with it that way. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is that if, if it was two years ago, I think if a player like Walter Thurman retired at 28 after coming off 
arguably one of his better seasons, especially at safety. We'd be we'd be you know looking at this pretty you know weirdly. We'd think, what the hell is going on? There's something more to it. But after seeing you know uh, Borland, uh, Chris Borland retire after one season, uh, Patrick Willis, Anthony Davis, um, half the uh, Jake Locker. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Jake Locker. So I don't think it's as much of a I, like George said. I don't think we can just point to one player and be like, yeah, this guy is more likely to retire than another. Um, but yeah, it's always something to you know to to look out for. I mean, we don't plan on uh, drafting Le'Veon Bell in the first round for him to have a, a career-ending knee injury or or season-ending injury. So um, you never know what's going to happen. Um, but I would say that people retiring or players retiring at younger ages, uh, especially coming off the season like Thurman did. Um, I don't think it's as mind-boggling just because of the retirements we have seen over the past few years uh, with how young and maybe how some talented uh, the guys are that are leaving at the, at the peak of their game. Yeah, uh, moving on next to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, something I know Doug wanted to talk about. There's been talk coming out over the last couple of days, the possibility of Branton LaFell getting a, a more prevalent role there than some of us might have expected with the way the draft went with Boyd getting drafted and so on at the wide receiver position uh, Eifert obviously now likely to uh, you know miss OTAs he's definitely missing OTAs whether he gets through camp and into week one we'll see what happens there so uh, LaFell could be in for a bigger, bigger target share down there in Cincinnati have uh, you raised him up uh, you know in your opinions over the last uh, week or two to uh, what you thought previous to that I'll let, I'll let George hit on that first. Sure, sure. So there's a couple of components there, right? So so first off, it's, you know, what's LaFell stock look like and, and what does it mean for him based on, you know, them claiming that, that he'll start potentially over Boyd. I don't personally see that. I could see him playing maybe more outside sets and them using Boyd a little bit in three receiver sets, especially while Ivert's injured. That, to me, makes a little bit more sense uh, because Boyd has that versatility uh, and LaFell really doesn't. Um, but as far as someone like, let's say, a Tyler Croft obviously gets a little bit of a boost. You know, now he's coming into his second year. He showed that he could do a few things last year when when Eifert was dinged up. Uh, but, uh, you know, honestly, for me, I see Boyd being the more effective player. I think he's going to get more snaps by the end of the year. Uh, there may be certain games where it's a little bit volatile because they may want to use LaFell if they decide to implement a more running scheme for that game. But Overall, I think Boyd's going to be the guy who's second to A.J. Green and snaps at the receiver position. I just think he'll maybe have some versatility in and out of the slot. Yeah, that last point that, that George pointed out, um, I, I wrote about him the other day, actually. He played, uh, I think he played a lot outside in college, uh, but I think he projects better even at his height. I think he's like 6'1 um, in the NFL. Uh, and I think that versatility, like he had said, could definitely play a part in it. I'm a New England guy. I saw what LaFell did last season, and I, I don't believe in him. Yeah, no, it would, or the lack of what he did. Um, so it, it's I don't think much of him. I think he's a veteran signing. Uh, could he play over Boyd to start? Sure, but uh, like uh, like George said, I, I would definitely say that at, by the end of the season, uh, Boyd is playing more snaps than him. Uh, with this LaFell injury, uh, I would say Gio Bernard gets a bump. You know, he was that receiving guy for them. And, and, and Jeremy Hill also struggled at times. So Bernard also got more carries. So I would say that. But it, it's going to be hard to evaluate, I think, because I think you're going from a huge downgrade just because um, Hugh Jackson isn't there anymore. And he's one of the most creative minds in football, I think. So it'll be interesting uh, interesting to see how they sort of formulate their, their offensive game plan. But I would think the Bengals would want Eifert back as soon as possible just because how dangerous he is in the receiving game and in the red zone. 
Uh, next on to the Green Bay Packers, and it's uh, Jared Cook playing up there in 2016. Richard Rodgers was there last season. Last season, obviously, there was a lot of calls in the off season for them to make improvements at the position. It wasn't done through the draft, but it has been done through free agency, and it's not something that Ted Thompson usually does. But I think there's uh, an opportunity there for him to make a big impact. I think he's a lot more athletic than Richard Rodgers is, and I think overall he's a lot more talented. But I just want to get your thoughts on how you think he's going to step up going into that offense with Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, Eddie Lacy seems to have got a, you know his fitness into account, losing a lot of weight this offseason. And then you have uh, Jordy Nelson coming back, who a lot of people are expecting to bounce back in a major way and you know, in turn should help Randall Cobb and so on and so forth. Jared Cook in uh, Green Bay, would uh, you be taking a shot in him this season? Uh, I, I would say that there are worser options out there. Um, it, it's funny because when we saw him, I think it was his last year with the Titans before he signed that ridiculous contract with the Rams. Uh, he showed some things. Um, but I think when you when you look at the position, um, it can't get much worse than what it was and simply because um, of just how the lack of death has been since Jermichael uh, Finley went down with that neck injury. Yeah. I think that, that makes their offense a little more predictable because they're not going to focus as much on the tight end position, so I'm not going to worry about them as a receiving threat. Um, and Richard Rodgers wasn't even that much of a blocking tight end either, so it could, you know, Cook could be an upgrade in the run blocking scheme for them, uh, especially they need a run game again if they're going to want to be successful because their their offense seemed way too predictable. With Jordy, obviously, Joy Nelson was out, and and Randall Cobb struggled. I think is the true number one guy for them. Um, so I would say there are worse options. I think. The only reason that people would consider him, and myself included, is because he has Aaron Rodgers throwing to him. Not so much, hey, I think he's really talented, because I don't. Um, so I think that because he has Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback, I'd say he could be a top 20 tight end. Who knows? We never know who, what's going to happen with tight ends every year. I don't think anybody predicted um, Gary Barnett to be a top eight tight end. So who knows? Maybe he finishes above Rob Gronkowski. I, I don't know, but uh, I, I – you know, I, I give him a shot just because of his quarterback. Yeah, I mean, people forget, you know, Richard Rodgers ended up as the tight end 11 last year in PPR leagues. So, I mean, he technically was, yeah. you know, a, a tight end one in 12-team leagues, which is yeah. both terrifying but also, <laughs> uh, you know, just kind of speaks to what happened at the position last year. Yeah. And, and you know, I get Jordy Nelson was gone for the year, so obviously they were looking at other options. Um, but, but they, you know, during that Jermichael Finley time, Finley finished as a, as a top 15 tight end three of the four seasons right before that neck injury. So there's, there's some upside there. And, and, you know, obviously they had some down years at the position with Corliss and with Rogers before 2015. So I see that there's upside there and I think his price is cheap enough where, Hey, why not take the shot and just see what you have. If you can get him as a, as a tight end too, and he potentially does have borderline tight end one upside in an offense like that. Why the heck not? Right. Yeah, and you mentioned as well, Doug, about the, the quarterback situation. You know, if you look at who's throwing the ball to Cook over his time in the NFL, it, it hasn't been uh, anything all that much to get excited about. But we'll see how he does uh, come in, into the preseason, into the season as well. Next up, we're going to talk about a few of your uh, articles over the last couple of weeks, guys. George has been writing up on DLF, as I mentioned at the start of the show, and uh, he's been talking about We've talked about a few tight ends on the podcast, but talking about uh, young tight ends and, you know, in Dynasty, not to put all your stock into them, we often see it takes two or three years uh, for a tight end to develop. And um, your thoughts, just will get uh, for people who haven't read the piece yet, the listeners, some of them mightn't have seen it, uh, your thoughts on taking young tight ends uh, and the rookie drafts? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think my motivation for it was, you know, like you said, a lot of times people say it takes a couple of years for these tight ends to develop, to become potentially, 
startable options, even for NFL teams, much less for fantasy teams. And I think the piece, though, that really I tried to, to highlight in the in the article was there's also a fantasy component where tight ends have become much higher scorers over the last 20 years, just since 2008 to now the average tight end 12 scores 150 fantasy points a year if you look at the mid 90s it was 50 fantasy points a year and then in that early 2000s it was about 100 to 110 points a year so not only is it take a little while for these tight ends to develop but now the bar to become a startable tight end for a, for a fantasy team is so much higher than where it was that it doesn't make sense in a lot of cases to invest the same amount of capital now that maybe you did 10 years ago or even five years ago into these guys because you know that it's just very difficult to crack that top 12. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 a little crazy. You know, you don't see too many Gronkowskis or come along that that do so well their rookie year, and I think everyone kind of remembers that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the rare exception. Yeah, because we've seen in the last couple of years guys like Eric Ebron go very early. Uh, in the NFL draft and turn then and uh, rookie and dynasty drafts as well. Players like him, you know, he's coming in now. I think it's his third season now in Detroit. Is he somebody at this stage that you would be thinking about with the way you look at tight ends of buy and lower? Is that the sort of target that you would think? Of? We even talked earlier about Ladarius Green as well. How he sat behind Antonio Gates. Everyone thought he was the successor there, and there's always been that hype. Are they the kind of players then that after that three or four years that you try and uh, buy into? Because that's usually when things start to slow down for them. Yeah, I do like I do like Ebron. I liked him coming out as well, but I didn't like the price tag his rookie year. Yeah. He was a little bit a little bit too crazy highly. He was a top one hundred uh dynasty startup pick, uh even his rookie year, which to me is a little bit crazy. Yeah. But last year he finished as the tight end thirteen. He did pretty well and in MFL tens in May, he's being drafted as the tight end twelve. You know, he's still kinda hovering around that tight end eight to tight end twelve range for dynasty drafts. So 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 similar there. Um but yeah, he's a guy that that I think his price is still reasonable, and with the situation there, he could actually have some upside. I think ASJ is one that when he's healthy, has looked great. You know, he's a he's a guy who has top five ability, um, but can't stay healthy, and and you know, obviously the the offense is still kind of evolving and and learning and everything. So, um, but as far as you know, Ladarius Green, like we talked about, is a great example. Someone who now has been seasoned for a few years was behind a very good player. And look at the situation. Hey, that's fantastic. Kobe Fleener's another one. Uh, so yeah, I mean, tight ends deep now. You know, it's become a much more polished position than maybe it was before. And we have all these guys coming in, so it just doesn't make sense to take the shot on this young guy when we're getting reasonably priced. You know, guys in their twenty-five, twenty-six year age. Uh, so so it just makes sense maybe to go that route yeah another one that uh, you, you mentioned ASJ I had him down as well Eric Ebron Ladarius Green they're all in that class somebody who I did take in a couple of rookie drafts last year but he wasn't going at a high price and that was uh, Clive Walford he's somebody who I've taken in a number of drafts then this offseason is he somebody that you think I'm quite high on him do you think he's somebody that could be in for a, a big 2016 he's an interesting guy because he definitely had some some different things like you know he he got a lot of his targets while the team was trailing you know if we think Oakland's going to be better is that yeah, is that still going to be something for him it's hard to say you know he struggled in the red zone a little bit but I think the offense still is going to be a pass first kind of offense even in the red zone so maybe there's opportunity to improve there um you know as, as a as a redraft I think he's been kind of a back end tight end too so to me that's a that's a decent shot to take uh and then in in dynasty leagues I think he's more of a middle uh, you know, high to middle tight end too, which I'm okay with as well. Yeah. I think he's worth the shot, and I think he's attached to a young offense that's going to be 
uh, still evolving. You know, how much longer does Michael Crabtree have? We don't know. And, you know, is Latavius Murray actually going to do something or is, is he just kind of shot and then they really have to go to the passing game? <laughs> Yeah, I'm interested to see overall how it goes in uh, Oakland this year. You know, there's a lot of hype around it. I think it could be a situation that could be in for a slight letdown in uh, 2016, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, the next one you have is talking about, you know, the, the reliance on youth in Dynasty Leagues. Uh, I've had a few drafts over the last couple of weeks, and uh, I'll actually go to Doug first to ask him, but do you think uh, with the overreaction, I think it's really uh, since the, the 2014 class, which was obviously ridiculous and kind of historic with all the players that came out there, do you think there's been a huge uh, overreaction to just, you know, a player now is getting to 27 years old, kind of in, in Dynasty at the wide receiver position, and we're starting to think that he's uh, over the hill? Yeah, I think that with the not only the wide receiver position, but just in general, the, you know, even the running back position as well, uh, where, you know, we keep lowering like the age where we think they're going to drop off all of a sudden. So I, I think that the the position that the, the age where everybody thinks they're going to drop off keeps getting lower and lower just because of the nature of it. Wide receivers, running backs take a bunch of abuse, getting tackled, you know, however many times. So I think... Um, I think that's just the issue. Um, I'll be the first to admit, I sort of overvalue youth uh, in Dynasty Leagues. I think you'll see that in, in our uh, OTI League that we just drafted for. So I, I think I think one of the hardest things is is play, people that are drafting in Dynasty Leagues or, or looking at players in Dynasty, and I know I do this, is how many years does an older player I think that I like, how many years do they have left? How many years do they have uh, efficiently? A guy I've been focusing a lot on in, in startup leagues, which I've done like three of them, is Tom Brady. A lot of people are not targeting Tom Brady where he should be, I think. I know, granted, he's 38 years old, but he's still producing at a very high level. I think he's got another two, at least three years in him. That's just me. But, again, that could be said for a lot of players where we think, especially a quarterback, yeah. where we're focusing all on these rookies or these really, really young uh, you know, quarterbacks that you know are – overdrafted just because of their age and I've done that certain position groups um, but I, I think there is definitely a overreaction to youth and um, that just benefits other players when uh, when when they uh, are time to draft and they see uh, the better player available. Yeah I really think uh, you made a good point there when you went to the wide receiver position and I think it's or, uh, the quarterback position sorry when you mentioned Tom Brady I, I think it's like about three years ago now and Philip Rivers, you could basically get for you know anything. Uh, nobody wanted him. You know, we we're all at the, everyone thought Philip Rivers was at the end and uh, the last three or four years, and it looks like he's going to have another three or four years after this. So uh, sometimes just players become severely undervalued in that way. But I think in particular since that 2014 wide receiver class, it's got really out of hand. I've noticed it in some drafts this year. Just some of the players that are falling, even if you know they're maybe 28 or 29, they're still going to play to their. 31 or 32 and I just think there's some uh, crazy value there and a guy I love to see fallen and I've taken him in many many drafts is uh, Eric Decker still seems to keep going and uh, dropping down those lists but back to the article uh, relying on youth uh, particularly the wide receiver position uh, what do you think in your thoughts Doug or George sorry no no you're good we Doug and I just look so close is, is the issue for you yeah no it's fine <laughs> um, like twins it, no exactly but but really you know Doug, Doug hit a lot of great points, I think, you know, and, and you did too as well, Colm. I think the last two years, you know, the 2014, 2015, right, you have all these young players. Um, you know, we've seen more top 36 wide receiver seasons in the last two years than we've seen in any other season over the last 20 years. 
you know, we had 11 of the top 36 were age 23 or under in 2015. It was nine in 2014. We never saw more than six before that, and we averaged four. So, so it's really just a crazy, you know, it just speaks to how strong yeah. the class is. And when you look at some of these past strong draft classes we've had, you know, let's, you know, you look at that, that 96 wide receiver draft class where it was Keyshawn Johnson and Terry Glenn and all these guys, you know, they were consistently good. So they were good when they were 22. They were good when they were 26. You have to follow the talent, not the age of those people. And I think that's where the overreaction is, is people are keep hedging their bets that every year is going to be the 2014 class when instead they should just try to trade for a bunch of these guys who were in that class and are doing well and, and buy on production instead. Um, and, and Doug makes a good point with a guy like Tom Brady. You know, I think Demarius Thomas is another good example. The best, the best way, the, the best season we can predict is the next one because every season further out we go, there's more variables and more things that are going to make it harder for us to know for sure who's going to be good and who's not. So uh, I, I think we don't give 2016 enough weight in terms of what it's going to help our team do and instead think about 17, 18, and 19 too heavily. Yeah, I've seen a lot of very interesting articles in the last couple of months since the season ended too, talking about some people when they're playing Dynasty football just want the, the young player. They don't actually think about winning the championship at the end of the season. So I think you do need those veterans in there too to help you get over the line and get the win. And I think that's something that people get away from as well. Uh, on to the next uh, article we're going to talk about, and Doug has a piece coming out for Inside the Pylon this week. He's talking about the top 10 rookies for the NFL season. We did give it a bit of a plug last week, Doug, but uh, I think you've had a little bit more finalized uh, heading into Friday, so uh, looking forward to reading it. Anything you want to give us some uh, insight into? Yeah, so I told you last week, and I'll stick by it. Shockingly enough, Ezekiel Elliott is my top rookie, <laughs> um, in Still? case you weren't sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I, I don't know if it will change. I'm a big Cody Kessler fan, obviously. So, um, so I, I actually have it up. I'm looking at it right now. It's it's a rough draft. I'll give you a little bit of a sneak preview. Um, a lot of people love Laquan, uh, Laquan Treadwell. A lot of people love uh, Josh Doxson. Two guys that I think I could potentially do better than them in 2016: Sterling Shepard and um, Michael Thomas. So Sterling Shepard, I think there's no doubt in my mind that by the time Week One hits. And Sterling Shepard will be the number two wide receiver uh, for the Giants. I don't think um, Victor Cruz is going to be that number two guy, um, just simply because, again, anything you get out of him is extra. Yeah. Coming off of basically a, a season and a half without playing, he suffered an injury that most players, or at least a good amount, do not come back from with that, that patella tendon tear. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but I, I think that this was a really good pick because – I don't think the Giants' defense is very good, so when you often see a defense doesn't do good and a team gets behind, you're going to have to you know, pass more to try and catch up. I think they're going to do that. It's just with Odell Beckham getting as much attention as he is, it's going to make it things easier for Sterling Shepard. He's a terrific route runner, and I think that's really going to help him uh, in 2016. Um, I, like Again, I, I think he'll be the number two guy, and, and really there's there's no solid guy behind them. There's no number three wide receiver, really. I guess you could say Cruz there, but the tight end situation, we don't know. Will Ty emerge last season? Larry Donnell was the season before, but he has a neck injury. They also drafted Jarrell Adams in the sixth round, and then this running back situation. They have six running backs <laughs> I can think of that I can think of off the top of my head that are all mm. veterans. Yeah, I guess starting with uh, Rashad Jennings, you have... Um, Andre Williams, Shane, Shane Vereen, Orleans Dockwa, Paul Perkins, uh, Orleans Darkwa, yeah, uh, Paul Perkins, and uh, Bobby Rainey, too. It, nobody knows what the hell is going on with their running backs. 
But I think if you look at it, I think Sterling Shepard is going to be that number two guy for them, or at worst, number three behind a guy like Will Ty or Shane Vereen. And I think you could have a really, really good season. I thought Kevin White was going to have a really, really good season last season until he uh, uh, hurt his foot. Um, but And then the other guy, like I pointed out, Michael Thomas. I don't know how you can't love this pick. This is arguably the, the top passing team in the NFL, and he just was drafted, and he could potentially be their number two wide receiver. At worst, number three for sure. Um behind Brandon Cooks and Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed came on last year when Brandon Cooks struggled. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what, if he can still produce at the same level. Um, but Michael Thomas, I think, terrific pick. Again, like Shepard in the second round where, you know, I think he might have been a little undervalued just because of how top-heavy that wide receiver depth was. Um, but this is the best uh, – I would think this is one of the best, if not the best, passing offenses. Uh, maybe behind a guy like uh, – a team like Pittsburgh – um, in terms of passing offense. And, and we know the Saints' defense is just horrible. They made some additions on defense. But, again, it's going back to what I said about the Giants. They're going to have to play from behind a lot. They're going to have to pass the ball a lot. Drew Brees is still playing at a very efficient level. Um, and I think Michael Thomas could seriously put up great numbers. And especially with uh, even beyond 2016, really Sneed is an unrestricted free agent after this season. I think Michael Thomas was drafted to be that number two guy for them long term. We could see it happen this year. But I love this spot for him. He's on the you know a team that passes a ton. They have a ton of completions, a ton of passing yards. It's got to go to somebody. I don't have a lot of faith in Kobe Fleener, despite that ridiculous contract they gave him. I think Dwayne Allen is a better receiving tight end. Um, but you know, uh, I, I can't remember. C.J. Spiller has been a complete bust so far. After we thought he was going to have 90 catches, I'm guilty of that. I thought he was going to do really, really well. Uh, taking over for Darren Sproles potentially, and then he goes and I don't know gets three catches, and and I, I don't know what it is, but uh, I think that just because Michael uh, Michael Thomas is underrated, I think he's in a good spot where he's at least a number three wide receiver. Um, I really like him in 2016. So those are two guys I would point out. Besides, obviously my my you know my big sleeper Ezekiel Elliott at number one. So uh, that that's just a summary. But you'll be able to check the rest out. No quarterbacks on my top ten list though. Yeah, Zeke's really gone under the the radar over the last couple of months. So I think everyone will be interested to hear about him. But uh, any of your thoughts on that, George? Any of those that you agreed with or disagreed with? Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, you know, no one really talks about this, but it turns out Ezekiel Elliott has a pretty good offensive line there in Dallas. So uh, you know, just just in case the the listeners haven't yeah. uh, haven't yeah. really been digging very deep, yeah. so there's there's a good nugget for you. No, but uh, I I definitely agree on the all the shepherd points i'm with doug on that i think he's in a prime position to contribute early i think his advanced polish his advanced techniques going to help him kind of get on the field and i'm curious to see how they utilize him you know do they put him in the slot on occasion you know i don't know the the giants wide receiver depth chart i don't think the giants know the giants wide receiver yeah. wide receiver depth chart enough to say but you know shepherd's versatile enough where maybe they try to throw him in the slot on occasion um so michael thomas is a little bit more uh, intriguing in the sense that, you know, when you think about last year when Mark Ingram was healthy, they were a little bit more run heavy than we had typically seen the Saints. So I'm yeah. curious to see how they implement that offense this year. Um, you know, but you'd like to think that spending high draft capital on Michael Thomas, uh, spending all that money on Kobe Fleener is probably going to push them back towards that pass heavy offense that they did so well with. But I don't know. It's it's tough to say. You know, obviously they they spent some uh, time and money on that offensive line as well. So so there's probably some kind of balance in there. But I do like Thomas. Uh, and we talked about Boyd earlier. I mean, he's another guy in 2016 who will probably get some opportunity. But uh, no, I, I'm with Doug there on a lot of the, the points he made. Uh, yeah, so, no, I, so, yep, 
Go ahead, Doug. So, so one thing I want to point out real quick, why does Josh Doxson have so much love in, in his rookie season? Um, and, and simply because um, I think at best when everybody's healthy, he's a number three wide receiver for them. Um, and I, and obviously I think, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see, cause I think he's being targeted really as that, uh, maybe that number three wide receiver behind Corey Coleman and, uh, Laquan Treadwell, um, for rookie wide receivers in 2016. It's really curious because I don't know if he's going to get on the field a lot. You have Jordan Reed, who basically is another wide receiver. Uh, Niles Paul will be back as well. Um, I mean, I, I will admit that they have a, a pretty bad running back situation. I don't like Matt Jones. I don't care what you say. I don't like him. He had less than four. He has a fumbling issue, and he had less yeah. than four yards of carry last season. Um, so I, I don't like him a lot. But um, it, it's really interesting because I, I don't see him contributing as much as a guy like Shepard where he's going to be a, a, probably a number two guy. But I just want to point that I, I, I think I like uh, Doxson, especially when they trade up one spot to grab him. Um, but I, I don't necessarily love him too, too much. Uh, at least where he's being uh, his uh, his cost or his price right now uh, in in redraft league. So I just wanted to point that out. Sorry to interrupt. That's right. I think uh, your point's very valid. But I think looking at dynasty wise, I think maybe people are looking at two or three years down the road with the other contract situations in Washington. If you look at Deshaun Jackson, you look at Pierre Garcon, they possibly will be on the move after this season. But particularly this year, I think the other guys have a chance uh, to have an immediate impact. While I don't think he's going to make an, an, an impact straight away. A couple of guys that I think. I just want uh, to go through and we'll give our opinions on them before we finish up here just for uh, if they'll have a breakout season this year or if they're going to be a bust and uh, there's a couple of them in here particularly left as wide receivers because we went through the tight ends when uh, we were talking about George's tight end piece. First up, uh, Mohamed Sanu has gone down to Atlanta. There was really nothing last year down there beside uh, Julio Jones when you were looking at Roddy White didn't have much of a season then we had Hankerson down there so uh, number two opposite uh, Julio Jones do you think there's a, an opportunity there for him to get a lot of targets this year or do you think it's just going to be uh, feed Julio as much as possible yeah I guess I can I can start um, I think that the targets are available I think he's definitely a short yardage guy he's not a guy who's going to be utilized much down the field yeah I, I mean I, I don't think many people expect that anyway right because <laughs> when AJ Green was out, he still wasn't going that far down the field. The the thing that concerns me a little bit with him is that you know he has really low touchdown upside. He's never been a good touchdown scorer, be it college or the pros. You know he's never been good in the red zone. The price though isn't that bad when I look at like MFL tens that have happened in the last month or so. I mean he's going forty plus picks after Marcus Wheaton, yeah. and I I I can't think that they're that different to me where I'd be willing to draft Wheaton four rounds earlier. I get that, you know, Pittsburgh's a little bit better of an offense, but are we really seeing them as that different? I, I don't think there's a huge difference overall when you're you're looking through them, but there seems to be just the, the opinion uh, that one's extremely more valuable, and maybe it comes down to one again is a lot younger, and I know you were talking about MFL 10s, but, you know, that young player and the hot young commodity. Next up is uh, Calvin Benjamin, somebody who had a good rookie season, and a lot of people were still down on him last year going into the year and then obviously the injury missed the whole year uh, he's been out off the Panthers offense for one season a lot of people though starting now to you know talk him up again heading into this year he's a player who I'm not a big fan of but uh, uh Doug what's your thoughts on Kelvin Benjamin Are you expecting and much in 2016 yeah I just want to point out something real quick and I seem like to be like a madman today because I, I just fantasy world pisses me off but why are people saying that Devin Funches is better yeah. Long term than than Calvin Benjamin. I don't understand that. I'm not saying I don't like Devin Funches, but Calvin Benjamin at least produces a rookie. What did Devin Funches do? 
No yeah, offense to the he playoffs. lost his number one. He, he he lost his number one spot to Ted Ginn, one of the biggest busts at wide receiver of all time. He's picked like number eight or something. In the NFL. Yeah. So you know, it's it's hard for me to see, but I really like this offense. Uh, well, at least his passing offense. You got Greg Olson. You got Devin Funches. You know, there, blah, blah, blah. Ted Ginn's there. Kelvin Benjamin's coming back. He's going to be healthy for week one, I suspect. But I think the thing that, that surprised me more than anything, the Panthers did really not much to address their running game, where they're, they're definitely a run-heavy team at times. Uh, I would say a lot of it is due to um, Jonathan Stewart and uh, Cam Newton. But Jonathan Stewart, I'm not so sure he can last another whole season. He's getting up there in age. He was inefficient, I think, when he played for the most part. I think he had under four yards a carrier or just at. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I think they'll have to lean more on their um, their passing game simply because I think that they obviously lost their number one cornerback, and they really don't have any cornerback depth now, I don't think. I don't even think they have a solid number two, let alone number one. Um, but I would say that I, I like Calvin Benjamin. I think he could have another great season. Um, I could see him as a low-end wide receiver, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't see why people are, are, are hating him over or, over Devin Funches. I, I don't get it. But I would say if I had to pick one or the other, I'd say breakout. Yeah, I, I mean, I, Doug makes a lot of good points. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, again, like he said, a lot of receiving kind of uncertainty there, right? Greg Olson's the only guy that we can probably write in pen is going to do well in that offense, uh, you know, in terms of receiving. You know, my – a lot of people point out, oh, you know, he's really inefficient in the red zone his rookie year, everything like that. But Cam Newton was really yeah, inefficient very, in the yeah. red zone that yeah. year, you know, and, and looked a lot better last year. I think that was more product of Cam developing, not a product of Ted Ginn or Devin Funches <laughs> doing exceptionally well. So I think that'll improve. And I think Benjamin's more of a big play guy than people give him credit for. So, yeah, I think as a as a fringe wide receiver, too, which is what he's getting drafted at, that's that's what he, you know, is is being considered i think by most people it makes sense to me so i think he's gonna he's gonna hit that mark so i would say i i agree with doug yeah and we had a couple other players that we were going to run through but uh i'll have this edited so smoothly that none of the listeners are going to know but there was quite a few technical difficulties <laughs> during this show uh i talked about having a, a concussion at the start of the show i think my uh recording device has had a severe concussion over the weekend and uh, hopefully for the next show he's going to be started out but we talked about it, uh, you know, I had a Skype update and uh, it seems to just shuffle with the computer and their, their card and set. And so hopefully uh, I'll have a little bit of work and I'll have a, a word with it and it'll all be good to go for next week. But both guys have been uh, tremendous uh, fun. Doug's, uh, hopefully Doug, have you got a, a little bit off your chest uh, during the show? No, I'm still pissed. <laughs> and it's probably mostly down to uh, me having to ring back on a number of occasions, but uh, my apologies to the two guys on that there. But, George, uh, it's been great having you on the show. I've wanted to do it for a long, long time, and uh, all the listeners should be following you on Twitter. It's at Rotohack. Obviously, I've had a lot of the guys on from DLF over the time, and uh, it's DanceLeagueFootball.com. He's part of the, the great podcast over there now, too. And some of the listeners mightn't have uh, listened into the Philometrics pod, but do you want to give it a plug before we finish up? Because uh, it's a fantastic piece of work as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Nick Whalen and I, at underscore Nick Whalen, just so I can plug him a little bit there. Uh, <laughs> the creator of the Devy Report, and I uh, do a podcast, and, and you know he has a, a film background. He was a, a coach in the, at the college level, at the NCAA level. Uh, and my, my non-football uh, you know, time I spend at work I, uh, you know, I'm an analytics uh, person, so I've been doing that for almost 10 years. So, you know, we kind of combined my metrics uh, side, his film side, kind of mashed that together and then decided to misspell it and call it Filmmetrics. 
Uh, and we just go through uh, individual players and, and give kind of both sides of the equation and, you know, hopefully just give people a comprehensive look at different guys. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, and Nick and I are actually like real life neighbors. We only oh, live about awesome. 15 minutes away. So so we're in each other's lives all the time. <laughs> so uh, be sure and check that out. Of course, you can follow Doug on Twitter. It's at NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And until we're back with the next show, of course, uh, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.